Hello, my name is Katina Horton, and I am the Love and Freedom Toxic Relationship Recovery Coach. And today we're going to talk about four things that happens when the narcissist runs a smear campaign. Once again, four things that happens when the narcissist runs a smear campaign. Now, what I want you to do first of all is to think about campaigns in general, right? When we run a campaign, what? The whole focus of going uh, against another candidate is for you to be able to win, right? And so what does the candidate do? What do the candidates do when they're running uh, with the campaigns? They do what? They create bulletin boards. Uh, they create flyers. And think about it even back in the days when you were in grammar school. What did you do? You asked your mother to help you to go buy poster boards. You wanted... Uh, dry erase markers sometimes to kind of practice what you were going to do on the board, right? Then you had colored crayons, you had colored pencils, you had markers, you did the whole nine yards. And sometimes you asked your parents to help you, your parents and some other friends that is, to help you to be able to design your board because what? You wanted to win, right? And so then when you have uh, candidates of today, when they're running campaigns, what do they do? They also have bulletin boards and flyers, right? And all of a sudden you're getting pamphlets in the mail that looks like, uh, and even newspapers. It looks like newspapers, but it's actually, <laughs> I know the ones I had received lately, they actually look like newspapers, but they're actually campaign flyers, right? Kind of being slick with it. So anyways, the, one, the uh, candidates these days, they have a unique way of being able to get their message out. And then some of them, they do television and radio campaigns, right? And they even go as far as uh, purchasing billboards to get the message out, hoping that you are on the expressway or the highway somewhere. You see their face and you remember, oh, that's such and such, such and such, right? I need to remember to vote for him or look him up, him or her up, right? One of the things that happens when uh, campaigns occur that's not so good is that you end up with situations of slander, okay? And when it comes to slander, that means basically the candidates are doing what you call character assassination. And no, they're not assassinating you as far as killing you with guns and knives and that type of thing, but they are killing literally with uh, words, right? And in the scripture, it says, there is death and life in the power of the tongue. So the candidates are slandering, right? Character assassinating each other with their words, hoping that those words will be believable and it'll be just enough for them to win, right? But then we have to think about it too. If we have to go and slander someone in order to win, what are our motives? Why do we have to go about things in an incorrect manner, right? In order to be able to win the seat to office, right? And then when you also think about campaigns, those candidates that are running they need other people to help them. They cannot do all the work by themselves, right? They also need sponsors. They need money. <laughs> they need money in order to run for office. You cannot run for office if you don't have the money to do it. You have to have enough money and then you have to have people who know how to what? Have uh, good marketing skills and who know how to raise money, right? And then uh, when you think about it, and some people, some candidates actually pay people off, right? To say certain things about them. It's like whatever they figure whatever means necessary. And so when you think about it, when you are in a relationship with a narcissist, right? And they have decided that they uh, are going to discard of you. 
what they do is that they go into a smear campaign before uh, the discard is over. And they've actually started smearing you during the devaluation phase before they even think about the fact that they're going to leave you. That narcissistic individual is smearing your name during the devaluation phase. It's like they're smearing your name and then there'll come periods of time where they'll give you breadcrumbs of like saying, oh, she's got her PhD and you know, uh, you know, uh, Sally, you know, she can run all these different spreads. She's in Excel. She knows how to manage databases. She's got this whole theater production going on. She's got her own business. You know, she the bomb. So they will go in between smearing your name and then actually uh, to put you up on the pedestal, so, so to speak, right? Like the love bombing phase. And then they'll take you back down by devaluing you and say, what you do to your hair today? You need to go fix your hair. Your hair look a mess, a hot mess. So they'll do stuff like that, which is taking you from the penthouse to the basement and then from the basement back up to the penthouse, which reinforces the trauma bonds that you have with them. And then when they're uh, actually, so to speak, like putting you up on the pedestal as if, you know, they're running a campaign for you, right? Instead of smearing you, what they're doing in that aspect is making you want to reinforce the soul tie by constantly, what? Giving your body and spirit away to them, right? And so when it comes to a narcissistic individual, how you might wonder, well, how in the world do they uh, smear the people that they're with? They can also, if they got money, big money, they can also use television and radio campaigns, right? They can actually go that far, billboards. Uh, the sky is the limit. They can uh, go to social media, right? And target you and have other people canceling you. They can text uh, your friends and family members and associates, you know, uh, church members, other brothers and sisters in Christ, emailing people. They go through great lengths. So a lot of what real campaign uh, candidates rather do when they are campaigning is pretty much what can occur when a narcissist runs a uh, smear campaign against you, right? And so think about it. As we said, the type, the title of this message is four things that the narcissist does, right? When he runs a smear campaign, unless he or she, you know, if it's the other way around, it's flipped the other way around. So the first thing that the narcissist does is that they want something, but they don't want to take responsibility for the consequences of doing it. Remember, with the candidates that's running, their number one goal is to win. And so the number one goal of the narcissist is to win when he leaves you. And winning for him means that I get a chance to leave this relationship. I want to leave you, but I don't want to take responsibility for leaving you. So I do things to sabotage my living arrangement in hopes that you would eventually put me out, okay? And those things might be bringing uh, personal belongings from the new supply to your house, uh, food items that you know that uh, you don't like and he doesn't like, but that probably belongs to her, having her call and possibly leaving uh, sensual messages, uh, voicemail messages and that type of thing, knowing you're going to check them and or text messages and just so happen to bait you with putting the phone on the table so you can see it. Different things like that, right? And even if he decide, he knows that it's a possibility that he can literally go down with you, he will go ahead and risk that possibility in order to smear you. And so when the smear campaign takes place, right? The narcissist is usually going around like sulking. 
And so that's so they can be more believable. You see what I'm saying? And have that like victim mode and victim mentality, that spirit, that victim spirit on them. So they'll usually go around sulking, right? And then they'll tell their flying monkeys about, uh, or and or, right? It'll be, the flying monkeys will be either toxic codependents, right? And or codependents and or other individuals who have low-grade narcissism, okay? Or slash vulnerable narcissism, right? So they will go to their flying monkeys and let them know about what's going on. And then the flying monkeys are so loyal that they'll usually take over the job for the narcissist. They'll do whatever it is the narcissist needs to have done in order to make it look like this was all your idea, not the narcissist's idea. And of course, you know the narcissistic... Uh, individual is not going to tell the entire truth about what's going on. And if he or she did, you wouldn't be in the state that you were in and your marriage and or relationship wouldn't have gotten to um, the point that it got to. Okay. So when you look at scripture, Jezebel, she was a female narcissist, right? And that's what we get the term, the Jezebel spirit from. She was the dominant one. King Ahab was like what I would consider low grade. Uh, he had low grade narcissism, right? Slash vulnerable narcissist uh, abilities, right? And so Jezebel was the dominant one, right? And a lot of times what you have when you have that, we've talked about it before, when you have a female narcissist, what she will do is emasculate the male. She enjoys doing that and being caught up into her physical appearance. So Ahab goes to, King Ahab goes to uh, Jezebel. First of all, what he did is he went to Naboth and told Naboth like, hey, I see you got a vineyard and it's right next to my vineyard. Let me pay you silver for your vineyard or, you know, you can have another location. But since this your vineyard is close to mine and I want to use it for a vegetable garden, you know, how about you go ahead and either sell it to me, you know, or I give you another space or something. And Naboth wasn't having it. He said he was not going to. He understood what passing things down through the family meant, right? And even when it comes to our inheritance from the Lord, when we understand our inheritance from the Lord, we don't back down and get caught up into mess and saying, yeah, I'm going to sell this. He said, no, this is my father's inheritance. I can't do that. And so King Ahab being king and feeling like, hey, I'm entitled. He should have just given it to me. He was mad. He didn't go right off and take it. What he did was he went home pouting and sulking like a little child because he didn't get it. So think about it. When children have toys and they're playing with it and one child says to the other child, hey, can I have that toy? I want it. I like it. And then the other child's like, no, you can't have this. My mother bought this for me and I don't want to give it away because uh, she bought it for me. And then the other child goes around sulking. That's what King Ahab did. So of course he goes home and of course Jezebel is asking him like, like, what's wrong with you, so to speak? And what I want to do, I want to just read it from scripture just to show you how uh, buck wild and crazy it got. So in First uh, Kings, the 21st chapter, and I'm going to read the fourth through the sixth verses, it says, so Ahab went to his palace resentful and angry because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had told him. He had said, I will not give you my father's inheritance. He lay down on his bed, turned his face away, and didn't eat any food. So can you picture this dramatic production? 
he didn't got to the point where he's just not even eating food because this man didn't give him what he wanted. Very narcissistic and very immature. But this was the only way, obviously, that he knew how to handle it. It says, then his wife Jezebel came to him and said to him, why are you so upset that you refuse to eat? You know, it's almost like, like, what's wrong with you? And you know, when somebody asks you that, you, you got to be looking some kind of way for somebody to say that, right? And then he said, because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, he replied, I told him, give me your vineyard for silver, or if you wish, I will give you a vineyard in this place. But he said, I won't give you my vineyard. So he didn't told Jezebel basically what went down, right? And so what do you think Jezebel's response was being that she, <laughs> as the Jezebel spirit, right? That spirit of narcissism running through her, right? Just a female. Okay, so she basically told him like, you know, cheer up. I got it. I'm, I'm going to handle this. <laughs> it's basically <laughs> what she told him, right? And so then she used his power to make all of this happen. And which I want you to really look at and think about, right? Some people with the Jezebel spirit, right? And they've got that spirit of narcissism running through them. Sometimes they don't have the power to do certain things. And so they will attract and attach themselves like a leech to someone else who does have the power to get things done. So it appeared that this person wants to be your friend, but in essence, what they want to do is to be able to use your influence to do whatever it is that they want to get done, right? And so with Jezebel, because she figured, hey, I'm in control of this. I'm going to take over and get you what you want. She used King Ahab's, uh, his power, right? By signing his documents. And so when kings signed different things back then, back during those biblical times, right? I was about to say back in the day, if we want to look at it that way. So when kings signed different things and their signet was there, was a seal, you could not go and uh, revoke that. You couldn't change those orders if you wanted to. Once he had put the seal, that was it. That's why they had certain policies and procedures in place. And even so now think about it. When you go to court, you can't just go and up and change some things uh, just because you feel like, ah, you know what, I'm going to stop the process. There is a process that takes place. And once that's set in motion, there is nothing that you can do about it, right? And then when you look at, when you think about with Daniel, he was mad in his business and the scripture spoke of him as being one that was excellent in character, right? And he was one that was in high regard both to the Lord and to man. And as soon as he was getting ready to be promoted, you got this group of people like, oh, look at him probably, you know, in other words, I'm paraphrasing, but like, you know, it's basically like they look at him like, oh, he think he all of that. So they get together and the only thing they could think of is if we find something that we could say against him that has something to do with his faith and or religion, then we got him. And so that's what they ended up doing was finding, uh, they tried to find, they had the king actually, and I'm thinking about it. They had the king to go ahead and to sign his signature saying that there was a law that the only people that could be worshipped was him. And so, of course, Daniel wasn't going to go through with that. Daniel continued worshiping and praying to God three times a day right there where everybody could see him in the open window. Was he trying to have a scene? No. It already said that as he was doing before. So he wasn't doing anything that he did, did not do before. It's just that this group of people were trying to find something against him so they could prevent him 
from being promoted. So there will be times in your life that you are not doing anything like Naboth was, minding his business, and King Ahab, a King Ahab will come along, right? Person with that narcissistic spirit, that vulnerable narcissist, and they will feel that they are entitled to have what it is that you have, okay? And then they will start trouble for you. And in this case, by Ahab being the passive one and uh, Jezebel being the aggressive slash dominant one in the relationship and uh, emasculating one, she's like, hey, whatever you want, I'm going to get it for you. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Like, cheer up. <laughs> I got this. And uh, like, you know, ain't nobody going to stop me, that type of thing. And so I want to read over in 1 Kings 21, uh, the seventh through the 10th chapter, just so you can get an idea of what it was uh, that she ended up doing. It says, then his wife Jezebel said to him, now exercise your royal power over Israel. Get up, eat some food <laughs> and be happy. For I'll give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. She sent the letters to the elders and nobles who live with Naboth in his city. In the letters she wrote, proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the people. Then seat two wicked men opposite him and have them to testify against him saying, you have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. Now I want you to really think about this, okay? She's telling them to do all of that. She's actually proclaiming a fast. Now, if that is not blasphemy itself, but see, that's what happens is that when people have are infected with that um, spirit of narcissism, what they will do is make right seem wrong and wrong seem right. So even having them to proclaim a fast, that's gaslighting within itself through actions, because that's making it seem like you are doing the right thing and the other individual is in the wrong. And that's why a lot of times when it's people that have that spirit of narcissism in them, that's why a lot of times it's so hard for you to believe uh, the other person who doesn't have it in them because they are doing the things that seem right according to the Lord. You see what I'm saying? So a person be like, well, what do you mean that this person is narcissistic and I'm not to trust them? What's wrong with them proclaiming a fast? That's what we're supposed to do. So they'll do everything according to scriptures, as it says over in Timothy, right? And I want to say it might be 2 Timothy, the third chapter, when it talks about, right, having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So if we are not testing the spirits, we'll get caught up in somebody proclaiming a fast, all in the name of having someone else stoned to death, literally. And we will have put our signet on it literally like a king, we will sign off on a foolishness or somebody's life being taken for even that matter, right? And that's why the scripture tells us to do what? To test the spirits. So now we're number two, the second thing that happens, right? When the narcissist runs a smear campaign against you, number two is that he's going to find someone to lie on you, just like Jezebel did. And guess what? He's going to use your family members. He will use sisters and brothers in Christ from your congregation. He will use your pastor, the deacons of the church, the motherboard, the missionary society. He will call you and text and email your friends. He will even use, if you got a family therapist and a psychiatrist, he will use them. You see what I'm saying? It will go deep. He will use other lawyers to break you down in court, whoever and whatever 
he can use, he will use it as a tool in order for him to win. Remember, the goal is for them to win at all costs. So in the love bombing phase, what did he do? Volunteer his car so your family could use it all the time. Another thing that he did, volunteering to help your parents renovate their homes, right? Another thing he did, volunteering his car to your friends or to help them out with certain things, right? He's Mr. Fix-It, Mr. Handyman. He's the chef. He's going to cook an entire meal for your friend so her and her husband can eat. All of these different things that he is doing in order to uh, promote a certain image for himself so when things go south, they can say, I know that couldn't be it. I, I know it's got to be something you're doing. That, that couldn't be the same man that did this and that and the other. And then at church, he's going to volunteer in every ministry. So when things go south, there's no way they're going to believe that Brother Davis did all of this to you. Brother Davis could not be emotionally, mentally, spiritually, uh, physically, sexually, financially, uh, socially, intellectually, and relationally abusing you. There's no way Brother Davis could be doing all of that. <laughs> and they are far, far from the truth. You see what I'm saying? And so what it is, is that he wants to leave you and he wants to have his cake and eat it too. He wants to be able to see the kids whenever he wants to and all of this and that and the other and do what? Take no kind of responsibility for his actions. So I want to read further just to show you what Jezebel did. I want to read 2 Kings, the 21st chapter and the 11th through the 16th verses. It says, the men of his city, the elders and nobles who lived in the city, did as Jezebel sent word to them, just as it was written in the letter she had sent them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the people. The two wicked men came in and sat opposite him. Then the wicked men testified against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent word to Jezebel. Naboth has been stoned to death. When Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, get up, <laughs> take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite who refused to give it to you for silver. Since Naboth <laughs> isn't alive, but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Talk about that emasculating spirit of Jezebel, right? And that's of a person that's got that, uh, as a female, right? That's got that spirit of narcissism running through them. Like I said, they like to emasculate the men. So she like, get up, go on and do what, you know what I'm saying? I did what I need to do. Like, basically like you go and do what you need to do. You see what I'm saying? Just ignorant and just out of order. She has literally caused somebody else to lose their life. Now we're going to number three, the third thing that the narcissist does. Okay to run a smear campaign against you. Third thing that happened rather is that you spend all your time and energy trying to prove your innocence. You see what I'm saying? After he smeared your name and what happens? Think about it. When you have on a pair of eyeglasses or you have a hand mirror and you're holding or even a small little pocket mirror you put in your purse, don't forbid if you got some lotion or Vaseline on your hands, next thing you know, it's on the mirror. And then you just, you go get a, a rag or a paper towel or a hand towel and you just wiping and wiping and wiping. And what you're doing when you wiping, you're just making the smear even worse. And that's what happened with a smear campaign. You're trying to correct what he or she has done, but you're only making the situation worse. The only way 
for your eyeglasses, that pocket mirror, and that mirror in your bathroom to look better. The only way for it to look better is for you to get some water, first of all, then try to work on getting out whatever it is, right? The water makes it clear. And what do you need? You need clarity. Because remember, from being in a narcissistic relationship and being on that hamster wheel of approval and striving, trying to get him to notice you, trying to get his approval, thinking you're getting back to the beginning for the love bombing stage. And so what happens is that you end up running around like an energizer bunny, like the commercial said, they keep going and going. You running around like the energizer bunny, right? And so you're doing the same thing during a smear campaign. You running around. You know what? He was the one that wanted to leave me. You know, uh, he cheated on me and he already had 15 affairs throughout the marriage. And what was I supposed to do? And that's not what I was really doing when, when, you know, the person is like, well, you know, he asked people to pray for him. He's going around fasting. So obviously you did something. You see what I'm saying? So their gaslighting actions, as I said, how Jezebel did, doesn't match up. Their actions of what did they do initially in the love bombing phase? Lending out the car, right? Helping your parents renovate their house. Going to uh, the church and being on every ministry team and every every board. You see what I'm saying? And, and, and running in every office of the church. So it's not matching up. You're going around. And if this person is your friend, had, was your friend that was a narcissist, you're going around trying to prove that they were wrong. Trying to prove that your motives were right. For what? At the end of the day, once you were accused of something, if that person didn't have the decency to come to you and tell you, according to scripture, right? And if they needed to bring two or three people with them, this is what so-and-so said that you did. Is this true or not? So if they can't come to you and they have to believe the words of what other people said, and, and it's like they never knew you to begin with. If they think that you're the type of person that will go around and just uh, cause an all kind of trauma and drama and just creating chaos and confusion and strife. They never knew you. You're wasting your time. But in order for you to figure that out, you've got to stop the energizer bunny mode, right? So you can get the stillness, right? And get that clarity. You got to put the water <laughs> on the smear, right? You got to get clear so you can know what to do to move forward, right? And so what happens is that it moves us on to number four. The fourth thing Fourth and final thing that the narcissist does, right, when they're running a smear campaign on you, right, the fourth thing that happens is that pride goes before destruction, and that's taken from the scripture. Whenever we do something in pride and we stay in that moment, right, we stay in that space, destruction is going to happen. This is not something I'm making up. This is in scripture. It's going to happen, right? It says, so, so what happens is that one of two things is going to happen to the narcissist. Either they're going to dig a pit. They're going to literally get a shovel and dig a pit for you to fall in. But they're going to fall in it themselves, unfortunately. And or what's going to happen is that the people who are serving as their flying monkeys is actually going to destroy them and then put them in the pit. So once one of two things can happen. Either they're going to fall in the pit that they have for you or their own flying monkeys is going to get sick and tired of their mess, want to be free, want to be free for Pharaoh, and they're going to be the ones, right, that put them in the pit, so to speak. You see what I'm saying? They're going to destroy them and then put them in the pit, right? And so the thing about it is you think about the Wiz. I watched the Wiz several months back, uh, maybe good six, seven months ago. And on the Wiz, 
once the wicked witch was destroyed, right? Because all that water came in and she couldn't have any water on her. Once she was destroyed, they were celebrating. Her flying monkeys were literally celebrating. They were coming out of all of those costumes that she made them wear, right? Just like when you were in a narcissistic relationship, he made you wear all kinds of stuff that you didn't want to put on. They start coming out. You could see the beads of sweat on their body, etc. They came out of that. And so that's the same thing that's going to that's uh happening when it comes to the narcissist with you in that relationship, right? You're gonna want to come out of that, right? And you're gonna start to see the sweat. So she was killed because the water came down on her. Remember, the water represents the clarity. Water represents what? The word of God. Water represents the washing of the Holy Spirit, right? And cleansing you and purifying you, right? Sanctifying and uh, working in that justification process when you first became saved even, right? So water is very powerful. And so what happened, like I said, they were rejoicing once that wicked witch was gone, right? They're like, hey, we're not under her control anymore. She's no longer, he or she is no longer controlling my mind, right? They were in a sweatshop of slavery so that she could be comfortable. She had to have it hot in order for her own self to survive, right? Haman, in scripture, created a pit, really a gallows, so to speak, so many feet high, so that they can hang Mordecai because he was a Jew. And guess what? He ended up being hung by that same gallows that he prepared. God avenged Naboth, right? Naboth, did not even, he wasn't even able to try to go around to people and say, I didn't do this and that. No, because Jezebel had that stuff gone so fast, it wasn't even funny. She had that court process done and over with in no time so that Ahab could get that land. It was just that serious, right? Had that man stoned to death, right? But God avenged Nahab's death by allowing Ahab, number one, to be killed in battle. Ahab had tried to throw King Jehoshaphat under the bus and he himself was killed by a random arrow. And it wasn't random. That was God ordained. And guess what? Just as God had Elijah to go to Ahab and predict, right? Through prophecy, the dogs licked Ahab's blood, right? The blood was all over the chariot. They had to take him out of the battle and he died, right? Then you got Jezebel's eunuchs. Two to three of those pushed her down out of the window the scripture says. And then Jehu ran over her with his chariots. Okay. And so then Jehu said, go ahead and go bury her since she's a king's daughter. And they told him, they said, there was nothing left. All you got is skull, hands, and feet. So the birds had just that quick had eaten her. Another prophecy that Elijah had given to Ahab because of what they did to Naboth, killed this innocent man who had done nothing wrong, right? And so what? Dog lick, the dogs licked uh, Jezebel's blood and the fowls of the air ate her body, right? And then you got Joram and Ahaziah, right? Jehu went over there to take care of Joram and Ahaziah prior to going to um, take care. I think it was prior to going to take care of Jezebel. And these Joram and Ahaziah, you got these, as her, these are her sons, right? So you got Jehu going over there to take care of them. Jezebel decides she's going to uh, uh, paint her face. You know, like that kind of thing. Uh, like, look at me, look at me, look at me. She painted her face and all of that, put her makeup on and called Jehu Zimri. You know, she was uh, projecting like, you're going to be killed too. She called him Zimri, the 
master killer, or she was a hot mess. And so then Jehu asked, who wants to help me, right? Who is going to help me to destroy her? And so what ended up happening is that, uh, what ended up happening is the eunuchs, these were her flying monkeys. They like, hey, we, we'll jump in, we'll do it. So they threw her down out of the window. You see what I'm saying? So one of two things always happens when it comes to um, a person who is narcissistic. You see what I'm saying? Jezebel's eunuchs were part of her downfall. They, you see what I'm saying? And then with Haman, he was his own downfall, right? Just a series of different actions that took place. And so we never know in life how our treatment towards other people is going to play out. And then, you know what? You might be tempted to think to yourself, I'm glad this happened to him or her. They deserved it. This is exactly what they needed. And of course, as healing, we're all going to be thinking like that. One thing is that we all have brokenness. Their problems exist. And when I say there, I'm saying individuals who are infected with the Jezebel spirit, right? That spirit of narcissism that's running the show, that's causing their behavior to be the way that it is. They had some type of trauma just like we have had. So by us all having some kind of brokenness, we have to adopt a, a, a I would say, a heart posture of humility. You see what I'm saying? We can empathize with them. We don't need the empathy to become toxic. It could be us. That don't mean that we don't need to have boundaries. See, sometimes we get empathy for someone's situation mixed up with trusting them and continuing the relationship, which is a no-no, <laughs> unless it's absolutely necessary. Because all we do is what? That person has shown they cannot handle the access we get, we uh, we gave them to us, just like with Adam and Eve in the garden. The Lord say, like, okay, no, you're not gonna act. You know, you already accessed the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I gotta protect this other tree. I've gotta put flame and swords. You gotta get out of the garden. But with women in narcissistic relationships, what do what have we known to do? For those of us that uh, recovered from it, what do we do? What we ended up doing was. Hold on just a second. I just got to get quick water. We ended up being in a situation where we said, okay, this access didn't work out with you, but you know what? I'm going to give you even further access than you had before. But think about it. What in the world kind of sense does that make? But that's what Satan has us to believe in our minds that all we have, you know, when somebody's not doing what it is that they're supposed to do, and they're not showing they're responsible already, just give them more access, right? Become more of a doormat, extend more grace, and things will be fine. That's when you're taken advantage of, you lose self-respect, self-love, self-compassion, all your dignity goes out the door. Then you start compromising for threesomes and foursomes and that type of thing. And God, God doesn't want that for you. He wants better for your life. So you got to come to it from a place of humility, not think, ah, ha, 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 this is what happened to them because we have our own sins. We have our own addictions and brokenness. Women who hook up with narcissistic men and vice versa have a lack cycle going on. There's a love, approval, comfort, and knowledge addiction. And it be, the last part, the K is knowledge addiction. When you keep learning about 
what this individual has done and the light bell goes off, but you won't do anything with it. You won't apply it. That's when the Lord says, okay, like in Hosea 4 and 6, he says, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. You see what I'm saying? And he said, because you rejected me, then I'm going to reject you. And then further in the verse, he said, I'm going to reject your children too. So it's like, okay, it's one thing for us not to know. We don't know. We don't know. But then once we know, and we just keep learning, 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 learning about narcissists, just keep learning. It's become an addiction. We're not doing anything about it. Then that's when they're like, okay, I'm going to reject you. And guess what? I'm going to reject your kids because your kids are going to walk around in lack of knowledge. You know, you won't apply the wisdom. So in turn, they can break the generational sins. Then I'm just going to reject it. you and them. You understand what I'm saying? So when we come to this thing from a place of humility, know we need to work on our own healing journey. Know that we need to eventually walk in wholeness, which means that we don't feel we need anybody to complete us. Right. That's what walking in wholeness is. We're not uh, constantly bleeding out all over the place and can be in a relationship and still continue on because healing is a lifelong journey. Some people say, oh, you got to just be 100 percent completely healed up. You don't know 20 years from now, something could come up that you didn't even know that was back there. But when you're not bleeding out and you don't need to be needed. You know that you're whole. Right. And uh, if it wasn't for, but for the blood of Jesus, we'd all be in certain situations, right? It's none but his grace and his mercy and his love and his compassion. And what I always ask you to do is to wear a tie so you can make an impact, right? And that's the A-tie-I method. You analyze, you troubleshoot, you implement, you empower. And then the last I, you go and impact someone else. So wear a tie by making an impact by if it's anything that was of value in this video, you believe that it can set somebody free, right? They can stop trying to prove themselves to the narcissist and his smear campaign, or to the narcissist in general. They want to become free. They want to go to thevalleyofgrace.com, sign up for coaching, right? They want to listen to more Bible teachers. How about share this message with someone else? Don't be greedy and keep it to yourself, right? Bless someone else with this message. And it also helps other people when you like it. It helps other people out there on YouTube to be able to find messages like this, to be able to minister to their uh, minds. And then that turns into ministering to their hearts. And then that turns into ministering to their souls and spirits. You are enough. Reclaim your power, soul, and identity today. Grab your keys to the kingdom and go on and get your inheritance. Until next time. Be blessed. He was devoured by earth. There was a God. They call him the Father. And there was a